0: The opinions expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Murderish podcast. Sensitive topics are discussed. Listener discretion is advised. This episode contains discussions about suicide and depression, as well as vivid descriptions of violence. Listener discretion is advised. Daydreaming about coming into a sudden windfall is probably something we've all done. We let our minds wander for a brief moment thinking of all the things we'd accomplish if it happened, and how happy we'd be having received such a rare treat. Who would you share the money with if it happened to you? Your family, a stranger in need, or your best friend? It's a happy thought, but sometimes the reality can be much darker, because money also motivates some people to do terrible things. This is Jamie, and you're listening to Murderish, Join me as I walk you through the case involving Sarah Stern. This case takes us to Neptune City, a borough in Monmouth County, New Jersey. Named after the Roman water deity Neptune and its proximity to the Atlantic Ocean, Neptune City is a nice setting for raising a family. It's only an hour from New York City, and within 10 minutes, you could be sitting on the beach. It was in this East Coast town that an abandoned vehicle would be the beginning of one parent's worst nightmare. At 2.45 on the morning of December 3rd, 2016, Authorities received a call from an Uber driver, letting them know that a car was oddly parked just off the entrance to the Route 35 bridge in Belmar, New Jersey. Responding officers located the vehicle easily at the mouth of what locals called Shark Bridge. It was a silver, four-door 1994 Oldsmobile 88. As they approached the car, officers noticed something peculiar. The keys were still in the ignition. Thinking the scene was odd, officers called in the license plate and quickly discovered that it belonged to 96-year-old Lillian Stern. They learned, however, that the car was most frequently driven by Lillian's granddaughter, Sarah Stern. Even more concerning, nobody could find Sarah. Worried that she may have fallen or jumped off the bridge, authorities contacted Sarah's father, who was out of town and on vacation at the time. A search for Sarah began, but they would never find her. Sarah Stern was born to parents Michael and Carla Stern on March 24, 1997. Known to be artistically gifted, Sarah often created stunning art pieces. Sarah was kind-spirited, full of life, and made friends with ease. In first grade, Sarah met Leah McAtasney, who would end up being her closest friend through childhood and into adulthood. The pair navigated the challenges of elementary, middle, and high school, and college was no different. Sarah spent a great deal of time at Liam's house, where he lived with his parents, Quinn and Megan Megatasny, as well as his sister and twin brother. In high school, Sarah swam competitively and played softball, which she excelled at. During her junior year, Sarah discovered another passion, creating art. She spent most of her time creating pencil sketches and watercolors. Her artwork was beautiful and it brought a lot of joy to those who were lucky enough to receive a piece she had created. In 2013, when Sarah was still in high school, tragedy struck the Stern family when Sarah's mom Carla succumbed to cancer. While the loss was extremely difficult to endure, Sarah and her father leaned on each other to get through it. In high school, a boy named Preston Taylor became close with Liam and Sarah. The trio spent a lot of time together and looked forward to attending college soon. While Preston and Sarah never dated, they did attend their senior prom together. After high school, Preston and Liam moved in together, while Sarah continued living at her parents' house in order to save money. After she turned 18, Sarah visited a second property that her parents owned. Liam went with her. While at the house, the friends found a mysterious box. Things would have been much different today had they left the box alone. But curiosity got the best of Sarah and Liam, and they opened it. Sarah went on to attend Brookdale Community College in Lincroft, New Jersey, where she studied art and TV production. At the time that her car was found abandoned, she had just completed her second semester of college. Around three o'clock on the morning of December 3rd, 2016, Michael Stern received a call from the Monmouth County Police Department. He was vacationing in Florida at the time. Stern, groggy from being awoken, listened as an officer asked if he had been in touch with his daughter recently. Stern recalled their last text exchange from earlier in the week and said he hadn't heard from Sarah all day, and that was odd. The officer on the phone alerted Michael that the car his daughter drives was found abandoned on the side of a bridge. Immediately, Michael got into his car and began driving to Neptune City from Orlando, Florida a drive that would take almost 16 hours. Because of how close Sarah's car was parked to the river, officers began searching the river by boat, and divers came in to search the river bottom. The bridge that Sarah's car was found on crossed over Shark River, which was shallow and dangerous. The current was fast, and it led directly out to the Atlantic Ocean. Authorities knew if Sarah had somehow ended up in that river, They were working against the clock. Hoping to learn more about Sarah's activities on December 2nd, officers went to her house where they arrived at 3.19 a.m. They entered the home through an unlocked back door and found the house to be empty except for Sarah's beloved dog, Buddy, who had been contained inside his kennel. Anyone who knew Sarah was crystal clear on how much she adored Buddy Finding Buddy at the house without Sarah was a red flag. Initially, officers didn't have much helpful information to go off of, but they continued efforts to locate her. It seemed possible that Sarah may have jumped off of the Route 35 bridge. If this was the case, officers believed there was a chance they would find a note or something else at her house to indicate that she was suicidal. Though nothing of that sort was found, as officers exited Sarah's home, they were met by Robin Draper, the Stearns' next-door neighbor. Draper and the Stearns had lived next door to each other for years. Draper's daughter was close to Sarah, and the pair had hung out that morning. In fact, Robin told authorities that earlier in the day, Sarah asked if she could bring over a bin of items that her mom had left her so she could safely store them for her. While Draper had initially viewed this as normal, the current circumstances made her wonder if Sarah had been trying to give her sentimental items away before committing suicide. Authorities asked Draper if she thought Sarah had struggled with depression, and she responded, yes. As officers were leaving, the longtime neighbor mentioned that Sarah had spent the day with her good friend, Leah McAtasney. Officers made their way to Liam's house where they arrived at 4.01 a.m. Officer Bradley Hines knocked on the door until a half-asleep Liam answered. Hines asked Liam when he last saw Sarah and if he knew where she was. Liam responded that he had spent the day with Sarah running errands and getting food. He said that he left Sarah's house around 4.30 because he had to work at Brennan's Steakhouse that evening. He said Sarah had not mentioned to him that she was going anywhere, so he didn't know if she had left her house. As officers continued questioning Liam, he mentioned something that caught their attention, something they were not aware of. Liam told authorities that Sarah had been planning to run away to Canada. He elaborated, saying that Sarah and her father were having serious issues. Apparently, Sarah was angry that Michael was dating other women so soon after her mother's death. Liam said they were fighting constantly and that their relationship was volatile and destructive. He said this was the reason Sarah had decided to move to Canada without telling her dad. It was an escape from their dysfunctional relationship. Considering that Michael Stern was on vacation with his new girlfriend at the time of Sarah's disappearance, Perhaps she took the opportunity to get away without her father being there to stop her. Liam also mentioned that Sarah had a history of self-destructive behavior and that she was going through a rather harsh bout of depression. Before leaving, officers asked Liam if there was anything else he could share with them that could shed light on where Sarah might be. He responded saying that he had told them everything. Authorities left Liam's house and began absorbing everything they had just learned. Sarah's neighbor, Robin, said she believed Sarah had struggled with depression, which lined up with Liam's account of Sarah's mental state. Those comments, coupled with the fact that Sarah had asked her neighbor to keep some of the mementos from her mother, seemed to bolster the idea that Sarah may have jumped off the bridge. Days passed without any new information. Michael Stern arrived home late Saturday evening after a full day of driving and tirelessly calling Sarah's cell phone. With no news and no solid leads, Sarah's family organized a community search to aid authorities in their efforts to find the missing 19-year-old. The community came out in droves to help find Sarah, searching the nearby woods and along the riverbank. Sarah's best friends, Liam and Preston, also joined the search efforts. Fios One News captured an interview with Liam where he pleaded with Sarah to come home and said he hoped that she was okay. With helicopters flying overhead, boats skimming Shark River, and volunteers scouring the nearby land, hope was high that Sarah would be found. Soon enough, investigators made a discovery that had the potential to provide answers to many of their questions. Even if you eat a healthy diet, it's likely there are still nutritional gaps in it. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin was created through extensive research to provide women over the age of 18 with nutrients that support brain, bone, and blood health, not to mention antioxidant support after a university-led clinical trial was conducted. The results showed that Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin increased vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels increased by 41% in 12 weeks. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin is part of my daily routine because I know they are committed to third-party testing from USP and the Non-GMO Project so I know there are no questionable ingredients that I'm consuming. I wanted a multivitamin that was formulated specifically to support women and our unique nutritional needs, and one that has been thoroughly vetted to prove its impact, which are additional reasons why Ritual's multivitamin is my go-to. If your current multivitamin hasn't had a clinical trial published in a leading scientific journal or contains any shady ingredients, it's time to ditch it and start getting into a better Ritual, as in Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin. Right now, Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off your first three months. Visit Ritual.com Murderish and turn healthy habits into a Ritual. That's 10% off at Ritual.com Murderish. One of my New Year's resolutions is to be more thoughtful about how I spend my time and money. Instead of standing in line at the post office, I use stamps.com to print U.S. postage from my home printer. Not only do I save a bunch of time, I save money too. With stamps.com, I save up to 40% on USPS rates and up to 76% off UPS. You won't find those discounts by standing in line at the post office. Nope, you'll pay regular price just like everyone else, and you have to actually get dressed and brush your hair to go there. And who has time for all that? Not me. If your business, Etsy shop, or side hustle requires you to mail invoices or ship product, Stamps.com is ideal for you. You just need a computer and a printer and you'll be ready to ship in minutes. There's no special equipment required either. Stamps.com has been a huge time and money saver for me, and I'm pretty sure it's helped my hair not to go gray prematurely, because shipping is stress-free. Save time and money this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code MURDERISH for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code MURDERISH. I was in a Facebook group recently, and someone asked, I hear Best Fiends ads on a lot of podcasts. Do people really play that game? There were numerous responses from people saying, yes, I'm completely obsessed with Best Fiends. Best Fiends is the best match-three style game because it keeps you engaged and entertained the entire time. You won't be able to put it down once you start playing. It's cute watching my fiends start out as babies and then become more powerful to help me solve the tough puzzles. Whenever I play, which is always, more and more fiends join my team, which helps me decipher puzzles and progress through the game. You can spend your time doom scrolling through social media all day, but if you want to be more entertained and keep your brain muscles strong, try Best Fiends instead. I'll bet that once you play for the first time, you'll be hooked and find yourself playing during commercial breaks while standing in line for coffee or anywhere. Best Fiends content is always fresh because they're constantly adding new challenges you'll never be bored. Download Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Near the spot where Sarah's car was found, authorities noticed that there were two cameras. One was underneath the Route 35 bridge and the other was on the railway bridge that ran parallel to the Route 35 bridge. Feeling hopeful that the cameras may have captured relevant footage from the night of Sarah's disappearance, authorities requested access to the videotapes. But they were met with a dead end. Those cameras had not been working for years. As investigators tried to regroup after receiving such bad news, a glimmer of hope came their way and gave new life to the investigation. A couple of days after learning the two video cameras weren't going to be of help, Sarah Stern's neighbor came forward and said she realized that the security camera she had on her porch had a view of Sarah's driveway the videotapes were handed over to investigators who reviewed the footage that was recorded on December 2nd the last day that Sarah was seen alive throughout the day Sarah and Liam can be seen on the footage coming and going from Sarah's house with Liam leaving for good around 4:40 in the afternoon This was consistent with what he had told officers. Not much happened after Liam left until 11.45 p.m., when Sarah's car is seen backing out of the driveway. Her car drove off in the direction opposite of the camera, so the video didn't capture who was driving Sarah's car. Investigators called Liam in for a more formal interview on the morning of December 6, three days after Sarah went missing. During the meeting, detectives worked to nail down his timeline of events for the 2nd of December. Liam recalled once again that he and Sarah went to Taco Bell for some food and then went back to her house to eat. After eating, they took a box of Sarah's things to Robin Draper's house before returning home. At 4.40 p.m., Liam left. He told detectives that he did not know if Sarah had planned to run away that day or if she had plans to harm herself that evening. He did reiterate, however, that Sarah was in a dark place and that she wasn't in her right frame of mind. While everyone else painted Sarah as a happy-go-lucky, in-love-with-life kind of girl, the picture Liam painted was vastly different. He said she was obsessive, depressive, and suicidal. During Liam's second interview with detectives, he pivoted out of nowhere and asked an odd question. Liam asked almost flippantly if Sarah's body would be in the ocean by now if she had jumped off the bridge. Before officers could respond, the interview was abruptly stopped. Liam's parents had hired an attorney on his behalf, and he was instructed to stop talking immediately. Not having anything on which to hold him, Liam was allowed to leave. The next day, December 7th, authorities brought in Liam's roommate and Sarah's close friend, Preston Taylor. Detectives questioned Preston regarding whether he had seen Sarah before she disappeared. They also wanted to compare his story with Liam's. Preston's story did align with Liam's, but Detective Brian Weisbrot remembered leaving the interview feeling as though something was off. Before the interview ended, detectives asked Preston where he thought Sarah was. He responded, saying he assumed she had jumped off the bridge and was somewhere in the Atlantic by now. Later that day, information came to the surface that gave detectives a new direction to follow in the case. Video footage from Kearney Bank in Neptune City showed that Sarah had stopped by the bank in the afternoon on the day she went missing. According to the bank's records, Sarah accessed her safety deposit box and then she left. Detectives immediately went to the bank to see what Sarah had inside of her safety deposit box. They were shocked to find over $25,000 in old and tattered cash inside the box. According to Liam's timeline, he would have been with Sarah while she was at the bank, so why hadn't he mentioned this during his interviews with investigators? Detectives approached Liam again, and he admitted to sitting in the car while Sarah went into the bank. He claimed he didn't know what she did when she went inside, and that it must have slipped his mind because it seemed so unimportant at the time. Around the same time, detectives had come to believe that Sarah had not run away to Canada as Liam claimed. Her dog was left behind in his kennel, and Sarah had not asked anyone to take care of him. Another odd fact was that Sarah's passport and her social security card were both found in her bedroom, along with a significant amount of Canadian money, and nothing from her room had been packed up. All of these circumstances pointed to the probability that Sarah had not just left Neptune City behind. Finding a large amount of cash inside of Sarah's safety deposit box all but confirmed for detectives that she had not run away to another country. Detectives still needed to figure out how Sarah ended up with all that cash and whether it had any connection to her disappearance. Unfortunately, two months into the investigation, The search parties had not found any sign of Sarah, and detectives had not received any new leads. As everyone began fearing the worst, Sarah's case grew cold as the new year rang in. Toward the end of January 2017, however, detectives caught a break, and it was a big one. During the third week of January, Anthony Curry reached out to the Monmouth County Police Department asking to speak with a detective working on Sarah's case. Curry was an aspiring filmmaker who had gone to school with Liam, Preston, and Sarah before moving away to pursue his dream. Curry's phone call re-energized the case in a major way. He told officers that only days before Sarah went missing, Liam told him he was going to strangle Sarah and throw her body into the river. On February 1st, 2017, Two arrests were made. Much to everyone's shock, the two men arrested were none other than Sarah's two best friends, Liam McIntasney and Preston Taylor. Liam was arrested on charges of murder, robbery, and desecration of human remains. Preston was arrested on charges of hindering apprehension and improperly disposing of human remains. Michael Stern was absolutely heartbroken to learn that Sarah's best friends two people that he had known and loved since they were little boys, could have done something horrific to his daughter. Preston and Liam sat in the county jail for two years while awaiting their trials. The morning of January 23, 2019, was especially cold in Neptune City. Dozens of people and members of the press filed into the Monmouth County Courthouse to witness Liam's trial, which was presided over by Judge Robert English. The defense and the prosecution had spent the last two years building their cases, and both sides came ready to fight. The prosecution was led by Assistant County Prosecutors Megan Doyle and Chris Decker. Doyle promised the jury that Liam McAtasney was guilty of murdering Sarah Stern, and that she would be able to prove it. In fact, Doyle told the jury that Liam himself would tell them exactly how and why he killed Sarah. Carlos Diaz-Cobo, who led Liam's defense, began presenting his case by telling the jury that while he may not know where Sarah was, Liam had nothing to do with her disappearance. The first witness must have come as a bit of a surprise by nearly everyone in the courtroom. The prosecution called Preston Taylor, Liam's roommate, who sat wide-eyed and nervous on the witness stand. Outside of investigators and the legal team, most people didn't know about or understand his involvement in Sarah's case, but he was about to tell them everything. The prosecution asked Preston to recount the night of December 2, 2016 for the jury. The words that left Preston's mouth hit Michael Stern hard as he sat through the heartbreaking testimony. Preston said that around 4.30 p.m. on December 2nd, he ran into his roommate Liam at their house. Liam was in a rush getting ready for work when he quickly said, "'Dude, I did it. "'Can you help hide the body?' Preston knew exactly what his friend had done because they had been planning it for months." As it turned out, the cash Sarah had in her safety deposit box had a direct link to her disappearance. Apparently, while Sarah and Liam were visiting a second home her parents owned, the pair found a box that seemed out of the ordinary. As Sarah lifted the lid to see what was inside, a bunch of dollar bills spilled out of the box. The cash was old and in poor condition. It was estimated that the box held anywhere from fifty dollars to $100,000. Sarah was shocked and decided fairly quickly that she had to take the cash to a safety deposit box at her local bank for safekeeping. Some reports state that Sarah spent a portion of the money. However, no record of this was found, and it would be difficult to verify either way. Preston told the jury that after Sarah found the money, Liam wanted it. He said the two of them began planning how they would get the money from Sarah. Preston testified that initially they were only going to burglarize her house and make it look like a random robbery. Somehow, over the span of a few weeks, they decided that in order to get the money without being caught, they were going to have to kill Sarah. They didn't have a specific date in mind, but Preston and Liam were on the same page. Sarah had to be completely out of the picture for them to get the money. Preston told the jury that while Liam was at work on December 2nd, he drove to Sarah's house. This was part of the plan. He said he walked into her house through the back door and quickly found Sarah slumped in the corner of a downstairs guest bathroom, right where Liam had left her. It was dark by the time Preston got there, so he moved Sarah's body outside underneath a large hedge. He then went back inside and located the safe that Sarah kept the money in. He took the safe outside and laid it next to her body. Finally, Preston said he went back inside to clean up any evidence that may connect him or Liam to the crime. He then waited for Liam to get off of work. Their plan was simple, or so the two of them thought. They were going to put Sarah in the trunk of her own car and drive separately to the Route 35 bridge. Liam would drive northbound on the bridge in Sarah's car, while Preston drove southbound in his own car. Their goal was to make it look as though Sarah had committed suicide by jumping off of the bridge. Liam was going to toss Sarah into the water, abandon her car, and then run to the other side of the road where Preston was waiting. However, their plan went off course when Liam realized he couldn't hoist Sarah's body up over the edge on his own. Needing help, Preston got out of his car to help Liam. Once the pair had managed to throw Sarah's body over, they ran across the road to Preston's car. They drove away thinking they had just pulled off an untraceable crime. Despite the unthinkable crime they had just committed, Preston and Liam were excited about the money. They expected to find anywhere between fifty to $100,000 inside of Sarah's safe. As they arrived home, they began eagerly opening the safe. The plan was to move the money from Sarah's safe into a safe of their own. They would then bury Sarah's safe to avoid it being found. When they finally got the safe open, Liam and Preston's excitement quickly turned to despair. The safe held only $9,350, far less than they had anticipated. On top of that, many of the bills were old and in unusable condition. The roommates had just murdered their best friend for less than $10,000. With their expectations shattered, Liam and Preston put the money back into their new safe, which they planned to bury when the news of Sarah's disappearance died down. Though they were able to bury both Sarah's safe and the new safe that had the cash inside, by the time the safes were taken out of the ground, it would be by law enforcement. Within minutes of being apprehended, Preston confessed to his part in Sarah's murder and agreed to walk investigators through his and Liam's actions leading up to and on the day of her death. Preston explained to detectives what he did at Sarah's house, the route he and Liam drove to the bridge, and eventually he even took them to the location where the two safes were buried. The new safe they had put the money in was buried in Shark Park. It was a sentry safe that had the serial number 002 imprinted on the label. Based on Preston's confession, corroborated by his ability to locate the safes, authorities were able to arrest Liam as well. At the time he was arrested, Liam had a peculiar key on his keyring. It was a sentry safe key that had the number 002 imprinted on the side. During his testimony, Preston was cold, stoic, and unemotional, even as he described dragging his friend's body through her house and out to the bushes. Liam's defense attorney claimed that Preston was lying and that he either acted alone or wanted to play some part in his friend's disappearance so he could feel important. Either way, the defense contended that Preston Taylor was making up a story that implicated Liam and that it had no foundation in reality. While Preston may have been easy for the defense to dismiss, the next witness had Liam on tape. Anthony Curry was called to testify. He was the man who contacted officers in late January, claiming that Liam had told him about his plan to strangle Sarah just days before she went missing. Curry said on the stand that it was Thanksgiving night, November 24th, probably around 11 p.m. He told the jury that Liam reached out and asked if he wanted to hang out since the two of them were in town for the holidays. Curry agreed and met up with Liam. The conversation began normally, but Curry said it took a dark and strange turn when Liam started talking about Sarah. Liam told Curry that Sarah had come into a large sum of cash and that he wanted it. Liam then began conveying his plan to get it from her. Curry said Liam told him that he planned to strangle Sarah, make it look like she committed suicide, and then take her money. He boasted to Curry that his plan was flawless. Curry, an aspiring filmmaker, responded saying that it sounded like the plot to a movie, with which Liam agreed. Curry told the jury that he disregarded the strange conversation with Liam thinking that Liam was just being his normal, wild storytelling self and wasn't actually planning to kill his best friend. This changed, however, when Curry realized that Sarah had gone missing. Curry said he contemplated whether or not he should go to the police. Part of him still believed that Liam was just kidding and that the situation was just a horrible coincidence. But deep down, Curry knew what he had to do. After telling police what he knew, Curry offered to help with the investigation in any way possible. Detectives wasted no time in asking Curry if he would be willing to get Liam to talk about the murder on tape. Curry bravely agreed. Liam had been trying to hang out with Curry ever since Sarah had disappeared, so meeting up with him was easy. They planned to get together on January 31, 2017, in the parking lot of a closed store. Authorities outfitted Curry's car with a tracking device, camera, and a microphone. They listened and watched live as Curry drove from the police station to the store where he planned to meet Liam. It was obvious that Curry was nervous during the drive over. Detectives hoped it wouldn't be too obvious when Liam got into his car. Curry pulled into the parking lot and watched as Liam walked up to his car. As soon as he got in, Curry was caught off guard when Liam asked if he could pat him down for a wire. Curry agreed. Not finding any wires, Liam began talking immediately, and the things he said were stunning. Liam not only confessed to murdering Sarah, he gave incredible detail regarding how and why he did it, and the jury heard all of it. On the recorded footage, Liam told Curry that he and Sarah had been hanging out that day. Around 3.45 in the afternoon, he started telling her he had to leave to get ready for work. Sarah got up to walk Liam out. He crept up behind Sarah, put her in a chokehold, and lifted her off the ground. Liam said that Sarah struggled for a long time, but eventually, she started going limp. Liam said that Sarah whispered his name as she grew weaker. Liam told Curry that he lowered Sarah to the ground, but she was still alive. She began convulsing, which Liam described to Curry as a seizure. He said he stuffed a t-shirt inside of Sarah's mouth, hoping that it would stop any saliva or vomit from getting on the carpet. Liam then proceeded to cover her nose and mouth with his hands, and then waited for her to suffocate. Liam said it took much longer than he expected. In fact, Liam told Curry that he had timed the whole thing on his phone. In total, Liam spent about 30 minutes killing his best friend. After he was sure that Sarah was dead, Liam moved her body into the bathroom and then left to get ready for work. Curry was undoubtedly shocked by what he was hearing, but he had to play it cool. He shook his head and made comments that kept Liam talking, just as detectives had instructed him to do. Liam appeared excited and somewhat apprehensive as he told Curry about the brutal murder. Curry may have expected some remorse or emotion from Liam, who just described murdering Sarah with his bare hands. But Liam never shed a tear or demonstrated even a hint of remorse. Quite the opposite. At one point, Liam audaciously complained about the amount of cash he and Preston ended up with. According to the footage, Liam told Curry, the worst part is, I thought I was walking out with 50 to 100 grand. Before leaving, Liam thanked Curry for listening. Curry headed straight to the police station after the meeting, and Liam was arrested just two days later. Liam's cold confession to Anthony Curry was played for the jury, with Sarah's father in attendance. His crying could be heard throughout the entire thing. The defense countered by saying that Liam, who wanted to be in a movie of Curry's, was simply auditioning for a role and used his friend's tragedy as a way to embolden his performance. Michael Stern was called to testify about his relationship with Sarah. Liam had previously claimed that Michael was borderline abusive and that the father-daughter relationship he shared with Sarah was strained and volatile. Michael said on the stand that nothing could be further from the truth. The jury was presented with multiple text message exchanges between Michael and his daughter on the days leading up to Sarah's disappearance. The messages showed that Sarah frequently reached out to her dad and asked when he was coming home. She got updates from her dad about his vacation and told him to have fun and that she missed him. The messages indicated a close and loving relationship between father and daughter. Michael said on the stand that he loved his only daughter more than anything in the world, and it seemed that all of their recorded interactions supported that. Michael told ABC's 2020 that he tried to make eye contact with Liam during his trial, but Liam would not look at him. The defense took every chance they could to cast a shadow of doubt on the claim that Liam killed Sarah. They argued that there were inconsistencies between the allegations against Liam and the evidence found at Sarah's house. As the trial was nearing an end, the defense called a surprise witness who had the potential to shatter the prosecution's case. I've got your next podcast binge... Families Who Killed the Donut Shop Murders is a new true crime miniseries that tells the story of a family, the McCrary's, who terrorized small-town America in a brutal crime spree that captured the attention of the entire nation. Sherman and his son-in-law, Carl, targeted people working the night shift at donut shops. The McCrary's committed numerous robberies, abductions, and murders, And you'll hear all of the details of their crimes by someone in the family in the Donut Shop Murders podcast. You'll also hear from the detective who tracked them down. I am a huge fan of Wondery podcasts because of the compelling stories they tell and the top notch production value. And this podcast is no different. Follow Families Who Kill the Donut Shop Murders on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or you can binge all six episodes ad free. subscribing to Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app. Let me guess, you've also had free trials renew without your consent. This isn't by accident. Greedy corporations set free trials up this way in order to get their hands on more of your money. Truebill is an app I've been using to help identify unnecessary subscriptions and stop them from charging my account. So many of us have unwanted subscriptions we likely just forgot about. And they're slowly draining your pockets of hard-earned money. With Truebill, people save an average of up to $720 annually. I could have enjoyed almost 200 cups of my favorite cold brew with that amount of savings. With Truebill, you'll get a concierge who will cancel needless subscriptions so you don't have to. Truebill has helped save its 2 million plus users over $100 million. I'm on track to save about $400 next year from the unwanted subscriptions Truebill helped me identify and cancel. Fancy cold brew? Here I come. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com murderish. Go right now, Truebill.com murderish. It could save you thousands a year. Truebill.com slash murderish. Craig Hetzel was a local contractor in the Neptune City area. He was respected, well-known, and had been in the area for decades. Hetzel and his son worked together on a project site, and they typically arrived at work very early in the morning. Hetzel testified that one morning... He and his son were driving to the construction site when they drove past a young girl walking down the street. Hetzel said the girl was beautiful and that he had a full view of her face as she was walking in the opposite direction they were driving. He made a comment to his son saying, she is way too beautiful to be walking alone this early in the morning. Hetzel didn't think much else about the encounter until a few days later when he saw a missing persons flyer. Hetzel said he realized that he had seen the girl on the poster a full day after Sarah was reported missing, which would have been a full day after Liam allegedly killed her. This testimony, if true, would completely dismantle the prosecution's theory. Hetzel's testimony, however, began to fall apart. Hetzel frequently wavered and changed his story. He couldn't hammer down exactly when he'd seen the girl. Was it before Sarah went missing or after? By the end of his testimony, the jury had likely disregarded much of what Hetzel said due to the inconsistencies. February 21st, 2019 marked the last day of arguments. The three-week long trial concluded with the prosecution reminding the jury of Liam's recorded confession, Preston's confession and testimony, and all of the evidence that pointed to Sarah being happy and well-adjusted instead of suicidal or wanting to run away. The defense concluded by telling the jury that all of the prosecution's evidence was circumstantial, inconclusive, and inconsistent. Without Sarah's body, there was no way to tell that she had even been murdered. After closing arguments, Liam was escorted back to his cell to await the verdict. Five days after the trial ended on February 26th, the jury had reached a decision. They found Liam McAtasney guilty of first-degree murder, as well as six other counts including robbery, conspiracy to commit robbery, and desecration of human remains. Liam was later sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Preston Taylor, who'd been Sarah's prom date, took a plea deal. He was sentenced to 18 years in prison for helping to dispose of Sarah's body. Today, 23-year-old Leah McItasney resides at New Jersey State Prison, a 185-year-old maximum security prison in Trenton. Preston Taylor, also 23, is currently serving his sentence at Garden State Youth Correctional Facility, a minimum security institution that mostly houses young adults. Inmates at the correctional facility can participate in work programs as well as educational courses and vocational training. Preston will be eligible for parole in May of 2032. Liam's family still maintains his innocence. His mother, Megan, has gone on record with ABC's 2020 to say that her son was framed, that Preston lied about his involvement and that Liam's confession to Anthony Curry was nothing but an audition for a movie. Megan said she still believes that Sarah Stern ran away and is alive somewhere, despite there being no evidence to suggest this is true. Sarah Stern would have been 24 years old this year. Her life was cut short by two people she trusted most, two-thirds of the squad, as they used to call themselves. Michael Stern has spent the last few years trying to heal from his daughter's passing. He erected a memorial for Sarah on the bridge where her car was found. As a result of what he heard during Liam's trial, Stern has struggled with horrible nightmares, which serve as a constant reminder of his loss. Though Sarah's body has never been recovered, her father, at the very least, knows that the people responsible for her murder were brought to justice. He visits Sarah's memorial often. A Facebook post from Michael Stern on the Sarah Lee Stern Memorial page, dated March 24, 2020, Sarah's 23rd birthday, reads, On March 24, 1997, Sarah Lee Stern arrived in this world. It is with great sadness another birthday passes without my beautiful and talented daughter here to celebrate. Sarah's spirit will live on through the people she met throughout her short life and the art she created. Her teachers and friends brought out the best in her. I miss her and the pain in my heart aches every day. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Murderish. I hope you all enjoyed a nice holiday season and are off to a positive start in the new year. I'll be at CrimeCon in Las Vegas this year and it would be great to meet some of you. Visit CrimeCon.com to purchase your badge. Use promo code MURDERISH for 10% off of a standard badge. I really hope to see you there. If you enjoy this podcast, do me the biggest favor and rate and review Murderish in your favorite podcast app. Positive ratings and reviews help new listeners find the show. Also, follow me on Instagram at Murderish Podcast. It's my favorite place to engage with you guys. You can also find me on Twitter and on Facebook. Check out Murderish.com if you want to buy Murderish t-shirts, face masks, coffee mugs, and more. If you want more Murderish content, go to Murderish.com and click the link to go behind the scenes and become a Patreon subscriber. Patreon subscribers get immediate access to bonus content, as well as other perks. I want to send a huge thank you to Jesse L. and Haley M. for becoming Patreon subscribers. Murderish Sound Design and Audio Editing is by Justin Hellstrom. Some of the music was composed by Nico of We Talk of Dreams. This episode was researched and written by Lincoln Edgeman. Stick around after the closing music and ads to hear a list of sources used for this episode. As always, ishers, thank you for joining me on another episode of Murderish. And remember, listening to this podcast doesn't make you a murderer. It just means you're murder-ish. Sources for this episode include a September 1st, 2019 NBC New York article by the Associated Press. A June 21st, 2020 Asbury Park Press article by Kathleen Hopkins. Information dated March 1st, 2019, found at InsideEdition.com by the Inside Edition staff. An article dated June 21st, 2019 in The Daily Beast by Pilar Melendez. A December 5, 2016 article found at NJ.com by Alex Napoleo. A March 24, 2019 Asbury Park Press article by Amanda Oglesby. A February 4, 2017 article found at NJ.com by Rob Sparr. An ABC News Network article dated 2019 by Ali Yang.